Welcome to episode 12 of the Reimagining Work podcast. Um, this episode, we're going to talk about sociometry. We're going to answer the question, what is sociometry? And um, this is one of the things that, uh, or maybe the main reason why I do this podcast with John, is because he is like, he is the voice of reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say like, uh, well, I'm Rocky Nord and this is John Wenger. But, uh-huh. but here's John. And I'm John, voice of reason Wenger. The voice yeah. of reason Wenger. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> why I say that, um, when I learned, I, when I got to know John, I mean, I was very much into... Uh, uh, also the process of, of uh, social business. Uh, I come from an IT background, so I know about the tools that are being used um, and how to use them, how to implement them, how to do a change, how to, all those kind of things. And, um, but the one thing that we talk about when we talk about social business is about the social aspect of the social business, Enterprise 2.0. And it's social, we can use the word social, but what we actually mean is human. Mm. That's what we're talking about. It's the humanization Mm. of business. Uh, Social business doesn't mean that you install an enterprise uh, social network and have everybody chat uh, together like they do on Facebook. No, it means that you connect people in a certain way that they get to be able to do their work more efficiently or more productively or with more enthusiasm or more innovatively or whatever comes out of it. Um, The humanization, (laughs) yeah, it's the dehumanization of modern businesses which cause many problems. Uh And I think we are running way ahead of ourselves with enterprise 2.0 or social business or whatever you want to call it. And we neglect that human part. Mm. Um, At great cost, I think. Like The dehumanization is now um, accelerating and creating effects that people probably didn't expect or predict. You know, the old uh, law of unintended consequences, some things were put in place, processes were put in place to, to increase efficiency, but the um, law of unintended consequences meant that people were feeling less satisfied, were getting sicker, were feeling more stressed, were um, leaving jobs more frequently, were um, having conflicts at work, were not resolving conflicts, and all those sorts of things. Sure, let's set this up to make more efficiency, but dehumanization has um, been um, and improving to be increasingly um, detrimental to business effectiveness i think yeah i i agree and and now we have um i mean we've we've been going uh, changing humans into assets and giving them a number and and all those kind of things and sure it's efficient but it it it's it it's so unpersonal that people disconnect from the organization and you get very poor um engagement and mm-hmm. that's something that we 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 do use it as a statistic. There you go again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, the the employee engagement with the company is so low. Well, guess how that happens. And now we have all sorts of new processes and KPIs and 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 I don't know, and all all sorts of networks and stuff and data, big data uh, that we use to bring back the engagement of people. And it's funny because when you talk about it, it's all about we have building blocks or we have a process this and we use this kind of tool and we connect people in that way, in this way, and uh, then we can um, you know, collect all the data and with all the data we can do something. And uh, But still... I have a feeling that nobody exactly knows what exactly what it is that they're doing. They're just like trying something. Few talk about the communities, and once you start talking about communities, you tend to get into the uh, the more human part of the whole social business mm. um, realm. 
Um, but because we are focusing so hard on business, in the social business part, we still tend to um, ignore or um, the human part of the whole process. I mean, in the end, the absolute bottom line, no matter what kind of processes you have or what of data you have or I don't know what, in the end, it's one human with another human mm. who needs to do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you tend to, you know, don't look at. I mean, if you have the um, holacracy, the mm. new stuff, uh, mm. uh, you know, to create a certain environment, they reduce actually reduce a human to a number. Right. I mean, their process is about dehumanization mm. and and making it more technical and getting you know that way. And it's a horrible thing, and um, I don't think it works. Well, it's enticing. It's it's enticing because it's it's well, you know, for some folks, it's enticing because it's new and 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 um, looks like it could be an answer to some of the ways that businesses are getting stuck. Um, and also, we've you know we've mechanized our lives, we've industrialized our lives, and that's happened over a very long time. And it's hard to very stop gradually, gradually, and we've become. Yeah, we've become like the fish who, you know, the last thing to, to, we notice is the water that we swim in. Yeah. And I think, so we've become inured, I think, a lot to that kind of industrialization, mechanization of our lives, things that are just in, you know, our lives are infused with all of that sort of stuff. So I can understand why it's enticing to to um, quantify those sorts of, um, the, the human side of things. And also because it's an easy thing for our, our, our very simple brains that have not really evolved as much as they probably will if we exist on the planet for another, you know, thousands of years, whatever. Our brains can get hold of numbers and data like that. Like that. And it's yeah. hard for us to make. So there's a whole piece about how do we make sense of things, which is just qualitative. How do we make sense of and develop um, the relationships that we have? And I think also because, you know, my, my belief is that humans and groups are, are inherently dysfunctional. And by that, I don't mean that they're broken or that they don't work well. But it's just that because we are complex systems, each of us. And when we put a few of us in a room, we, it makes the system really complex. Um, and by dysfunctional, I mean there is no kind of perfect way of interacting in a group. There is no step one, step two manual and to learn how to do teamwork or be a team member or do conflict resolution or any of that stuff. Uh, I think that that's what I intend when I say dysfunctional, in that we can't think of it as a, a a mechanical process, human relationships. But we're trying to make sense of it. It's in, an organic the, process. Then. It's a very, very organic and complex process. Yeah. The only the only training, people training that I had when I was younger and in IT was how to deal with conflict situations, uh, but only in the sense of there is a conflict to begin with. Uh, mm. Because between me, not because because of my person, but because of uh, some sort of uh, an error within the system, uh, somebody can do their work and is frustrated by it. And how do you deal with that, right? So it's it's more about uh, learning how to deal with a person to serve the process. Mm. So um, yeah, um, well, so, well, well, rather than learning how to deal with the person so that they preserve their integrity and their and their prestige and their um, right to exist as a as a <laughs> yeah, unique no. human being. You know, no, that, you... that seems like a, a weird concept for a lot, but I, I know that uh, there are places in the world, New Zealand being one, where there are folks who try and do things like conflict resolution in a way where neither party or any party leaves with their integrity intact. And I think that's a really important thing to learn from mm -hmm. or, or relearn. I, maybe we've lost it with industrialization of our society. Well, now we get to the point a little bit anyway, um, or to the, the subject, let me put it that way. Um, yes, this is a bit of um, a hot topic for us. I mean, uh, so we can get a little bit um, uh, fired up about it. Uh, we try to, uh, we'll try to contain ourselves uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and not to yap too much, but and to, to stay a little bit on subject and to uh, to. Uh, well, it's, a, it's a podcast. We're supposed to yap. We're not. We're not doing inter not doing interpretive dance. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. 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 Okay. Well. Uh, okay. Well, 
Uh, and I am human, so I can be passionate about it, right? Yeah, and that's a good thing. There you go. Yeah. Um, so, John, tell me. Rahir. Yes. What is sociometry? Um, it is a, a way of looking at how people choose each other in groups. Um, it's a, a look into the organization of, of groups and and where people fit within groups, whether they are um, well-connected, if they're loosely connected, if they're isolates on the outside, if they're highly chosen and, and very um, popular, I suppose, well-chosen individuals at the center of a group, which we'd call a star. Um, so it's a way of looking at our groups, but it's for me, it's a, re a really important thing about it is that it's a way of a group looking at itself. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a tool or a technique for for people to uh, to do something to a group. If you see what I mean, like um, you know, I remember uh, stories of you know time and motion studies where someone would go in with a, a clipboard and they would observe how people worked in factories to look for ways that they might work more efficiently yeah and then that, they, was, that was something being done to people yeah and then they do a study and then they come back to it and that's here's how you need to do whatever that's that, right, you, yeah. that you need to do and yeah. then you'll do it better and then the other person goes like yeah right that's yeah. not gonna happen so a thing like that would would be classed as anti-sociometric in other words it's not about the people who are doing the thing in investigating how the thing gets done and looking at their relationships. It's somebody else coming over like a helicopter, taking a snapshot, going away, making some assumptions and decisions and then imposing something. Sociometry is very much about a group um, becoming interested and curious about how it looks, at, how it organizes itself and how it might reorganize itself in a different way to become more effective. And the, the purpose, as I understand sociometry, is so that within groups, and when I say group, I'll, I'll just qualify this. I mean within family groups, within groups of friends, within any purposeful group like a social club, a hobby group, an interest group, uh, teams within workplaces, organizations, departments within organizations. So group, I'm using the term quite loosely. Uh, so the purpose of sociometry is to assist the group to increase the level of creativity within the group and the level of spontaneity within the group. Because for me, those two things will be the, the, um, the thing that allows people to become more effective and more satisfied and more joyful in their working lives. And I'll I just make a, an extra note about spontaneity. Often that word has been used interchangeably with impulsive. And in spontaneity, spontaneity in, in my way of thinking is not about impulsivity. It's about knowing when to act and when not to act. It's about making adequate and appropriate responses to our situations. So sociometry aims to grow spontaneity and creativity within groups. And if we think about that within a workplace, let's just take a team, for example. Um, we want that group to be um, highly, um, uh, what's the word, uh, interactive with each other and be creative with each other, create solutions to the, the problems that they face in their workplace. Um, an example would be a group of team leaders who meet, say, once a month, and um, they share some common areas of concern, if you like, things that challenge them as, as leaders of people. And in order to get to the bit where they start to volunteer some of the things where they feel frustrated or stuck or challenged or maybe a bit of a failure, there's a piece of work around developing some trusting relationships with each other and that's that's the highly sociometric bit of this is developing close relationships finding out where you areas you have in common so that you can together create some new solutions for problems which maybe have been intractable for you in the past and and big picture uh, for me it's about reducing the sense of isolation that many of us are increasingly living in our lives. We're with lots more people because we're living in, you know, bigger cities and closer to large population centers. Yeah, so it's very important if you have, especially when you have smaller uh, groups or teams that you are uh, in some time, in some cases, forced to work with. Yes. I mean, you don't choose your coworkers. Yeah. Um, so it can be very. Um, um, 
helpful um, if you can increase the dynamic of that team that you work in in order to be a lot more um, uh, well productive or creative, productive, creative whatever whatever effective. consequence it is. I mean, is is, is it something that where you go like, well. We, as a team, we need to be more creative. We can do this, or is it more like you just go through a certain process, and creative, creative, creativity is one of the the byproducts of that awareness, or the acceptance of each other, or something like that. I, I mean, it's it's a yeah. It's I mean, everything that you said is all interwoven. It's a it's a you know kind of complexity thing. A system of things, but I, my, my experience of working sociometrically is that creativity does increase when the quality of relationships between people improves. And one of the 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 uh, phrases that I use a lot around sociometry is the quality of an outcome, quality of our outcome, is directly related to the quality of the relationships between exactly the people trying to generate that outcome. Right. And I, I've seen that borne out by, with my own eyes with enough evidence. Maybe that's just because of what I'm looking for. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, you, I, you, you're trained to, to actually see it. I mean, that's something that, that, that is... Um, because we're so inherently dysfunctional, but also inherently disconnected, mm. uh, despite our digital age, mm. uh, we become more and more disconnected. I mean, you have these images where people are uh, having dinner and they're all on their mobile phone. Yeah. And, uh, checking in or something or whatever that's, and, that's right. and talking with other people and then the people that are around them that's right uh, and maybe later they'll have a conversation but the initial state is a state of disconnectedness i think and the initial state oh, it's, a, it's an interesting thing i, I think our initial well, there may be debates about this our initial hardwired state that we are born with is is the desire to connect with others and we're hardwired as most mammalian babies are i believe uh, as far as I know, to connect with the primary caregiver. We are driven to reach out to a primary caregiver from the minute we're born. Mm -hmm. And I think we are wired to be social beings. I think we are. Oh, we absolutely. are social beings. Yeah, absolutely. But something gets, something gets in the way where we become um, disengaged with each other. Processes and education and schooling and things that happen to us, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, affect a kind of disconnect between us. And we well, are we're still, we are we're still, so we're still disconnecting on... on, on Especially now with all the social networks and the internet, we're still connecting on a, on a on an immense scale. Absolutely. But uh, we're kind of finding our path of least resistance, yeah. where it is so much more easy to connect with somebody who lives in the, for me the uh, in in another continent, for instance, on in the United States, and then leave a comment on a Facebook status update, and then oh, I'm connected. With well, that because you don't you don't have to deal with the ins and outs and the warts and all aspect of of being really connected to another human being. I mean, it's which it's can be terrifying. terrifying. It, it can be absolutely yeah. terrifying for us yeah. when we start to get really close to people. Yeah, and, and now we found a way to keep everybody on arm's length. Yeah, because we only share what we want to share, and we don't get too personal, too close. Yeah, and but we lose a certain um, skill uh, that we are. Um, normally we're born with mm. um, uh, because it is part of our survival mm. uh, to be able to work in a group um, as a whole mm. uh, because no human or most humans won't survive on their own um, not now and not mm -hmm. in the present I mean we're still not capable of actually surviving on our own and we we weren't a long 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 time ago most would work in an that's why the one of the reasons we're so successful is because we were able to work as a team absolutely could, you know do different tasks you know the, the, the women would be well obviously taking care of babies but would also be uh curing the heights and preserving food and all those kind of things and men would do something else i mean if a man would have to do all these tasks he wouldn't have made that. So there's like a certain dynamic that's been there forever, but we're now kind of lose it because we're drifting apart more and more and more. And we find it easy to disconnect uh, rather than connect.
and 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 you know like you, you witnessed uh, you know witnessed the um the phenomenon that you described of people being at dinner together but actually on their devices talking with people who aren't even in the room we are you know the the the, the people's fascination with facebook and twitter and all those electronic media platforms people are absolutely hungry to connect with other human beings absolutely hungry for it and there's some something that's that's not right when those things aren't satisfying our appetite because people are still feeling alone in the world. They're feeling disconnected and isolated. It's because you don't get the connection that you need, but you you get a connection that you think that you want. Yeah. Well, because yeah. obviously Facebook wants you to have a certain connection, but they don't want you to have other connections. They don't care about you as an individual. They want to have, you know, that digital connection because that's something that they can trace. That's something that can, you know, hang an ad on. But it's so something what, that what we... It happens... Now, I was just thinking about sending an email to somebody who's in the office right next to you about, you know, being able to disconnect yourself from somebody. Uh, before you had email, you had to walk up and get into the office of that person and ask a question or tell them something, uh, risking uh, maybe a conflict or a conversation or uh, mm. maybe something else. But now we have ways to uh, avoid uh, any real... Well, one of the one one of the things that um, I found most compelling, and also sometimes in my in my um, in my training and in, in my application of it, also most um, frightening about sociometry is that the emphasis is on encounter. It's encounter humans encountering <laughs> other human beings. Yeah, exactly. And so it's this is why I say it's not a study of a of a group. It's a study of, a, a group studying itself and looking at its connections and its relationships. It can be really difficult and scary. When you've got emotions floating around in the room, and I, I'm not for one thinking, I'm just reflecting on the last bit of the, the conversation, not at all suggesting that our workplaces become therapy centers or will be running counter groups. That's that's not what sociometry is about. Sure. When I say it emphasizes encounter, it emphasizes a human encountering, being with one soul and another soul, you know, together exchanging, yeah. you know, and I. I put something in my my in a recent blog about what is sociometry. You know, imagine if workplaces or meetings were um, places meetings were things we look forward to, and workplaces where we had purposeful encounters with each other, knowing that we had progressed the life of the of the group of the team. Um, what if <laughs> meetings were uh, something productive and uplifting, where we spoke from our hearts and not from our egos? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You're talking rubbish, man. I know. It doesn't exist. Rubbish. I know I have a vivid imagination. Yes. <laughs> However, I, I, and the reason I bang on about this, and uh, I have faith in this because I actually, and I, and I will probably mention this many times through our podcasts. I, I have existed and lived and worked in a team like this for five years of my working life. Mm. So I know that this stuff really works. Mm. Um, I, I and because, and also we 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 had some help out from an outsider who would come in every so often and whose expertise was in sociometry and would help us to work out the things that were between us in our relationship so that we could do our work well. You know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier is we don't choose the people we work with. And by and large, I think that's the case. Increasingly, and in, in, as we become more city, city dwellers and, we, you know, populations become denser, we don't choose the people who may live next door to us either. No, but we or do who choose are sitting how next to, to us live on with the bus. them, right? Yeah, but we have to live. We have to have... Um, a greater sense of conviviality because we are around people that we may not in 50 years ago have seen as to be quote like us mm -hmm. and that's a scary thing if people are if, we, if we're not going to take up the challenge to how do we be with other people who are different from us and in the old days I'd look at someone and they might look like me and I would make loads of assumptions that they like me oh, now, on, I can on, look on. at someone okay. and I can see some differences I can see some differences I can hear some differences, and that's what's challenging, I think, for people in our workplaces and in our communities. How do we be with people who are different from us? And it's coming into sharper focus, I think, that thing that you mentioned of we don't choose the people we work with. And it's becoming more and more um, um, the norm. That's right? right. That we work with somebody uh, who's from a different country or a that's different right. race, a different religion. That's right. I mean, when we, we used to live in a small village... We knew exactly who our neighbors were. We knew exactly what they were thinking. Uh, they did exactly the same or, as we did. Or, so. or, we, or we thought we did. 
and and then the interesting yeah. <laughs> one one of the one of the, the the starting points for me around applying sociometry is that we have actually as humans more in common than divides us religion regardless color regardless gender regard we have more that human that unites us as human beings mm-hmm. than separates us but we're trying for some reason in our society to emphasize the differences well it's uh, it's uh, um, the uh, the us against them that's right. Uh, mentality is something that's been uh, uh, very uh, disturbing, especially the last, you know, well, recent know, years. In recent yeah, years, it, it's getting stronger and stronger. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, even so, even on 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 um, <laughs> on um, and that's something that I've I've noticed uh, for the past two years or something, where even between the sexes. Yeah, yeah. That there, there's, there's somebody driving a wedge, you know, talking mm. about feminism, using feminism as something to to kill all men uh, because we don't need them. Uh, you know, those kind of ridiculous things is something that that comes along um, occasionally on the internet now, which is and 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 the way people men react to women on Twitter, for instance, is absolutely mm. horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> like Joe Jackson said, like uh, if there's war between the sexes, then there'll be no people left. Yeah. Um, us against them is something that's very, very disturbing. And yeah, and that's and that's that's part of the thing I've been when I, you know, humans are groups are inherently dysfunctional <laughs> because we do we we want to find who's with us, but and 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 sometimes we define who we are in opposition to who we're not. So that I think that's part of it, which is why I think that the the application of something like sociometry is is useful for me in my work because it brings awareness to people of what's going on, what do we have in common, what separates us. Are we okay with what separates us? And if we can get that bit, that's diversity for me. I can be me and who I am, and I can be in a room with you and who you are. If we find what drives us, what drives us together, what unites us, what, on what on what other criteria would I choose you to be? Um, a colleague, then we can do things like resolve conflicts easier or better or more effectively. Right. We can be more creative together and come up with some solutions to problems that both of us face. Um, we can um, collaborate and cooperate and get rid of that, you know, if, if, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. We just don't play the you first game. We just feel easier with each other and want to cooperate with each other because we know that what's good for you is good for me and what's, me, what's good for me is good for you. It's reflexive. And this is why I think the application of sociometry is so, is so core to my work. So, so how, how do you, because I, I just, one of the things that I read uh, from you is that in, in our earlier conversations too, is when you have a meeting mm. with say five people, mm. um, there's always one that, that, Drives home their own his or hers own idea, mm. uh, fed by his or hers own ego, mm-hmm. um, uh, not willing to listen to somebody else, mm. um, having great unsatisfaction, uh, um, uh, non-satisfaction uh, at the end of the meeting because it was pretty much the same as the last one because that one person is always mm. talking and, and, and driving and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, these sort of conflicts happen mm. all the time, mm. right? It's, it's, I mean, like what you said earlier, having a more productive meeting is one of the things, one of the outcomes that you can have with the training. How do you deal with that? How, I mean, there comes a point where, first of all, as a... Who like a manager mm. who decides that we need to have somebody come in and sit down with this team of people mm. and 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 deal with this problem. I mean, I mean, I know about it now, mm. right? So, and if I had a team, and I think it's something that in any social business transformation, it's mm. something that would come along at some point mm. because you need people to work together in a certain way. So. Mm. I'd call you. Right? Mm. Um, how, how how do people figure out that they have a problem and that it needs to be solved? Uh, well, let's that example you've described is a good one. So there's a group of people, and there's one person that seems to repeatedly take up, monopolize, 
the conversations and the time that uh, you, you look around and you see other people looking un- a little uncomfortable every time he or she speaks. They're saying things which are um, not um, acceptable to others, but no one speaks up. Um, so one thing is important is that all this is a process. So these aren't ever fixed at a single meeting or a single conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, um, it will become obvious to somebody that you're not the only one who feels uncomfortable by that person monopolizing. Mm-hmm. At some point, as in natural and within groups, two people may come together and start having little conversations about, did you notice? Yeah, yeah, I did. I don't like that. Neither do I. So this is what I mean by it's a process. This sort of thing, it's, it's like it build, the energy for it, the warm-up for it builds until at some point one person will say, well, what should we do about it? And they work out. So it might be that whoever is most warm and most connected and most trusted by the monopolizer might say, look, I'll have a word with him or her because he likes me or she likes me or I think they'll listen to me. Or you might get nominated. Well, look, Rocky, I think you should speak to him because he likes you. We know that every time you speak, he listens. So could you have a quiet word and just gently open the subject? So again, I'm talking about a process that happens over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm presuming that you haven't had a, a bust up in a meeting and rows and people flinging plates at each other. This is a, an incre- a growing frustration. But the, the, the decision about who maybe has the first conversation is done sociometrically. In other words, who's well-connected on, on quite a few levels, who would be trusted. It may be that there's a, there's a need at some point for the whole team to get involved. But you kind of, you'd be in the team meeting, for example, and you, your frustration builds to a point where you just say, look, can I just interrupt the agenda? I really need to say something here. I'm noticing that very often what happens is dot, 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 uh, other people may chime in and go, yes, no, I'm feeling uncomfortable about that too. Um, it has to be named. And it, it has to be named in a way which doesn't, doesn't alienate the person, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the difficult things is when it's, when it's a person who um, the temptation is to isolate them and make them the scapegoat or the bad guy or the bad girl or the reason for the, the team's dysfunction. That, that uh, would be like a, like a more of a default reaction uh, because one of the team. Because one of the things I, that, that dynamics I know that sometimes happens within groups is, is we look for a scapegoat. We look for the one per, yeah. I mean, scapegoat's the perfect name for it if we look we, at where the we, word we comes from. We point a finger and then we, and we play, exclude we blame, that person. And we blame all of the troubles of the team on that one person. And I am not convinced that that's entirely fair. I'm, I am discounting... Have, if you have... Um, uh, there's a saying for that where two argue two are guilty or something whatever well, if, you, I, if yeah, you have a room with five people and there's one person who's dominating I mean it's up to the other four to tone them down a little bit well that that's what I mean and it may be that there's one person who's more closely connected to the dominating person who has a quiet word at first or who's the person who feels mm-hmm. courageous to bring it up if you've got a meeting process I suspect you've got some conventions and ways that you behave and if the person's behaving in ways which are going against that, then it's responsibility of, of everyone who's there. It's the whole group's business to, to name some of the things that aren't working so well. Okay, so... But you see, this is what I mean by it's the responsibility. I think the responsibility, if, we think, if I think sociometrically, it's responsibility for the discussion of it, the resolution of it, to come from within the group, not an external person or the boss or the CEO or whoever to come in and do something to sure. the group. And, hi- and hand out directives and prescriptions, sure. because so it's, the it's, solution it's, for the solution for better ways of interrelating will come from the group itself. I believe. I mean, I've and I've seen that. Right, right. So it's not something. Yeah. It's just it, it's it, it's something that can happen. I mean, it's it's yeah. more of a fact. I mean, if you spend enough time on it. So, sure. but this is something that as a group you can uh, figure out. You can, um, if you have, just even a little bit reasonable people. Um, I mean, if you have like an utter bully, uh, I mean, obviously with some people, there's nothing to do. I mean, well, you can't work with them. I was, I was about to say, I'm, ex- I'm excluding the squeakiest wheels here. Yeah, and exactly. Often people go to the squeakiest wheel and, and they're thinking of the person who might be, you know, the sociopathic tendency. I'm, I'm not talking about 
Exactly. That sort of thing. I'm talking okay. about the, the the normal everyday dysfunctional dynamic, the common garden poor functioning of humans when they get together. And so, it's the group's responsibility to be responsible for how the group interacts. Okay, so then there, so we have a group that has determined there's something off. There's some hmm. some uh, some dynamic that just doesn't work within the group, which is uh, disturbing. Mm. Uh, there might be one person that has a certain influence which triggers uh, that mm -hmm. uh, behavior within the group, but mm -hmm. obviously other members of the group are, uh, if you want to call them that, guilty parties in the sense mm -hmm. that they don't know or they don't dare to stop that from mm -hmm. happening, that dynamic, so they get help. They decide they get help. They get, and then, then you come... And you sit down with the group, uh, you have them in a room. Yeah. Then what? Well, then if it was magic, say, 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 say in a case where I, I might be involved with a group in a situation like this, um, I start with what's there, not with what's not there. I start with what's functional, not with what's dysfunctional. And this is the thing I was saying earlier about sociometry teachers is that we have more in common than what separates us. Yeah. Certainly, say in a, in a workplace setting, I, I, I and, and in many cases, I have started with the big picture thing that we all have got out of bed for in the morning to come here and do together. And, and you see people's morale improve. You see people um, relax and be easier with each other. You see people open up. And it's easier to have a conversation between you and me if we talk about why we are doing this together. What's the thing in me, in my heart, in my mind, that drives me to come here and do this work with these people? Well, it's because I want to create a better world or whatever the thing is. And you find that people people will come together on the 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 I guess the purpose of why the group has come together. Mm -hmm. it, it then makes it easier to start when you've got a group where people are relaxed and they know that they're actually trying to achieve the same thing. Then it becomes easier to have the conversations about well, where are the glitches in the system? Where are the glitches between you and me? I'm trying to I'm trying to make the world a better place. So are you. When I do and say this. I'm doing it with good intent. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, as we know. But you get to understand what, what makes me tick. And okay. then you can, be, you can be gentler and easier and more understanding of me. And we can then work out a way in conversation rather than have a, a, a solution imposed on us. You just behave like this. I'll behave like this. Just come and do your work. I can't deal with this sort of stuff. So now we, we, we get to, um, in the first place, you have, it takes quite a little bit of courage to start with the initial confrontation mm. to determine that there's actually something wrong. Mm. Um, then it takes quite some courage to, as a team, be willing mm -hmm. to, um, well, go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, yeah, it, it is... Uh, it's, but you know, I mean, people who really go to certain therapy for a longer period of time. I mean, there's a lot more going on than just some conflict in the workplace. But mm -hmm. it is a sort of therapy anyway, and um, it's it's highly therapeutic. That that that. Well, there you go. Yeah, uh, I'll settle for that. And then you get the third um, um, part of that plan the process. Where you actually um, deal with the problem at some yeah. point, and yeah. that takes a lot of courage too, because mm. for a person who is introvert or timid to open up like that in order to to start to have a conversation, that mm. takes quite a bit of of you know mm -hmm. courage. Absolutely, it does, and. Um, but on the other hand, if you have the person who is usually the most uh, um, dominant in the group, mm. for that person to step down from the dominancy and opening up might even take a lot more courage mm. uh, because most of those persons who are most dominant mm. uh, usually are not. Mm. Uh, but they have a certain attitude in order to either protect themselves from something mm -hmm. or 
you know, out of fear of losing out or losing control over something. So what I'm trying to get at is that during the process that, that you just described, I mean, it takes a lot of courage for the it participants does. to actually open up. So for you to set uh, an environment where they, um, where they can be comfortable enough to do that. Mm-hmm is takes some serious skill uh, and it's it's part that's part of the applied sociometry using sociometry in action is absolutely part of setting that environment right so that yeah, exactly. you start with because the questions that go through all of our our minds when we enter any group whether it's for the first time or it's a repeated time is can i be me here do i belong here who are these people today in space and time they were mm-hmm. different they're different from who they were yesterday in space and time but predominantly, can I be here? Can I be me? And do I belong here? And when I start with those questions, I think sometimes if we're kind of spoke, focusing on resolution of conflict situations, but when you're talking about something like that where emotions are high, I think sometimes the best thing is not to attack the so-called problem head on, but to come about it from a strengths-based way, which is builds the environment where people are easy and they feel that they do belong here. And then those conversations feel easier because people feel confident in themselves and they feel confident with each other that they're not actually going to hurt each other intentionally. And I think humans all through, through, down through the ages, we've, 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 we've had lots of challenging conversations with each other since the beginning of time. And I, I know we're capable of it, but we need to know that we'll be okay in ourselves. I'm not going to walk out the room with you know, blood dripping down my face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why that environment bit is creating the environment bit so, so important. So people feel that they, they do belong here. Um, whether you're the, the, the dominant monopolizer or you're the quiet one, everyone fits and has a place here. And then there's a conversation that we need to have. And then that, that you know, that, that's done slowly and carefully. And when, yeah. I say caref- when I say carefully, I mean with care, with the care for every single person in that room that they leave with their integrity intact. Mm. So that's I'm, why I'm, I'm having my, uh, obviously it's audio, but I'm having my, oh, I am impressed phase now. <laughs> well, no, it's, I mean, it, it, it takes me back to a certain, um, like, again, with the, the conflict handling and, and uh, mm. those kind of things. I had a colleague, and during the training, the trainer uh, took the role of disgruntled um, manager who had to deal with... Um, the, the customer care uh, minion mm-hmm. and he pushed every button of my mm. colleague mm. and he went completely over the top mm. and my colleague lost it he got so angry um, you know stormed out of the room and pff, uh, was a lot of fun yeah <laughs> I imagine but I'm betting that he didn't learn anything from that mm. experience. Mm. The only thing that he learned from that experience or that he remembered from that experience was that he was angry. Yes. And that gets imprinted right here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, his reputation is tainted yeah. because of that experience. Yeah. Um, the group dynamic is disturbed because of yeah. that experience. Yeah. Uh, because it's real emotions. Yes. And he didn't learn anything from it. Mm-hmm. And um, so you want to avoid those kind of things. You want to avoid the extreme emotions. You want to have emotions. You need emotions. Mm. Because you need people to uh, feel uh, improvement. You know, they need to be... You have to take them out of the comfort zone in order to gain something. Mm. Um any sense of progress demands a certain level of discomfort. Uh, absolutely, getting out of your car. In fact, I was um, listening to some information, a, a presentation the other day, and they said exactly the same thing, that they'd, they'd done some looking at um, a leadership development program and that the, 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 the higher um, levels self-reported and reported by those around of change positive change in behavior and attitude, I'm being very general in the language, is directly was directly correlated with 
people's self-report of being out of their comfort zones. That you know, I think that you have if you're going to learn something, that it for me implies sometimes you're going to be really uncomfortable about doing it. It's like trying on a new pair of clothes that you've never tried on before. Um, it feels a little bit uncomfortable, um, or may feel quite a lot uncomfortable. It's it's maybe the same thing as going to the gym, you know, working out. That's right. That's I mean, right. If you're not tired at the end, if you are like, then you haven't gained anything. Yeah. And um, obviously, uh, people who work out physically, um, they put it in a real, um, as far as I'm concerned, very easy to understand um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for. Um, Jesus. Format? Yeah. Having said that, I don't, I don't believe that learning is a thing that, sh that should be painful by any stretch of the No, 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 but it's, it's something within a, in, things... in, 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 in a physical workout environment. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have too much pain, obviously, because yeah. then you're doing it wrong. I mean, you, yeah. you shouldn't injure yourself, but you should feel that you've done something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is where the difference lies where you, when you have any uh, kind of projects progress even on the on the work floor i mean or in 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 a in a workshop or anything yeah there needs to be some level of um discomfort yeah well some level of challenge on a personal level it's, sure. you know when i think of a workshop as a place where people do work not that someone stands up and just shows lots of powerpoint slides <laughs> that's a seminar a workshop yeah. is where people work <laughs> And when people come away from, you know, a workshop that I've run, at the end of the day, go, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? And I said, because you've been working all day. Yeah. <laughs> you've been using your head. You've been using your head and your heart and you've been connecting with these people and you've been coming up with solutions to your leadership challenges and you've been doing this amazing stuff together. Let's look at what you've done. And they go, wow, we've been working really hard. Yes, it's been fantastic. Yeah, um, exactly. But the bit that you have to get, the, the, you have to, to get, to that bit of working on your shared purpose is developing greater sociometry, greater, developing closer knit relationships, coming together on your shared purpose together. And that's such a key thing in, in HR, in L&D, in, um, in, in how organizations uh, organize themselves and run themselves and decision make and, and all of that sort of stuff. Mm. Yes. B.B. King said, blues is what happens between the notes. And I thought that's a beautiful quote. Work is what happens between people. Meetings are what happens between people. It's the energy. Between people, human people. And if we're really serious about workplaces becoming more human, we can't just flick this stuff off and going, oh, that's a nice to have. It's a fluffy so-and-so sort of thing. Um, people, I think, want to really, really feel that they spend their eight hours or six hours Connecting with people and feeling satisfied, and you've shared something and you've created something together. I this is what I believe. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, maybe even people who don't even totally figure that out. Um, but yes, um, if if you show people that th that their eight hours or forty hours a week can actually mean something, yes, uh, then. Um, they would, it would, in general, improve their lives greatly. I agree. And I believe our current society can benefit from that mm. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So, on that note, mm -hmm. um, I think sociometry is one of the most important parts of uh transformation the current transformation a lot of companies go through um, I think calling it uh, the current movement if you will uh, digital transformation is something that is so inherently inhuman <laughs> that calling it a digital transformation is completely missing the point mm. uh, on a scale which could be utterly detrimental to the whole philosophy of social business. I hope not. I hope not either. And I hope that people like you can help others to um, 
see and understand that being human and worry, worrying about the processes between humans mm. and not the business processes is something that's really important mm. um, for any business to thrive in the long run. Um, yeah. Yep. So, maybe I'll listen to this one again just to get it all, soak it up even more. Um, <laughs> um yeah Let, let's let's end it round it up the whole thing yeah. because yeah. uh it is something that we can talk about again for a long time but we already have talked about it for a long time i think it's pretty clear what sociometry is and um i'm just reading that well, no, that's not important. Okay, let's finish it up. Yeah. Thank you very much for explaining this, John. Um, let's let's try and, and have people listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Because if, if you have anybody who wants to know about it, then this is obviously um, a good way to spend your 50 minutes uh, to understand what it is about. And um, and have have in and I always enjoy people connecting out connecting up with me as well and having a Skype or chat or whatever around this subject too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, um, you can find us on rwcast.com. Um, easy enough. You can follow us there. You can connect with us there. You can subscribe there. You can do anything you want. And read about this blog post and the links to, uh, well, most importantly, your blog post about what is sociometry. Um, mm. That's it. Until mm -hmm. next time. Uh, episode 13 no idea what we're going to talk about but we'll see um, thanks for listening and until next time goodbye farewell goodbye